Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, and welcome to Passion and the Plague, a podcast from The Independent, where we take you back to a lockdown long ago. It's 1348. As the Black Death sweeps across Europe, a group of friends flee the Italian city of Florence to quarantine the countryside. They tell each other stories to keep themselves entertained, and the idea of Giovanni Boccaccio's Decameron, one of Europe's great literary achievements, is born. In this series, you'll hear 10 stories from the book, read by people in self-isolation across the country as we tackle the 21st century version of the play. Today's episode is Ciappelletto. Enjoy. From my youth until this very day, I've been in the grip of a powerful passion. There was a time when my obsession threatened peace of mind and my very life, not because of the cruelty of the woman involved, but because of my own madness. In my anguish, it was only the kind and gentle conversation of friends, their sweet distractions, that brought me out of myself, so to speak, and allowed me to breathe again. Those lessons I learned in gratitude to my friends, I now intend to pass on to others in need, who at this time find themselves cooped up within their little rooms, in enforced idleness, wishing at one time this, and in the next moment the opposite, forced to think about the unthinkable, and if their minds should be invaded by sad reflections of some private passion or other, those reflections will take root and cause them pain, unless there's something to distract them. So I shall tell a hundred tales, or stories, or parables, or histories, or whatever you want to call them, and in them will be found all the varied colours of love, bitter as well as sweet, along with other adventures, as you'll see. Now don't be put off by my grim beginning. My story must start with this current plague, which is a sorry tale, but a necessary one. So don't be deterred from reading on. And just as those who climb a steep hill to catch a fine view derive their pleasure in proportion to the hardness of the climb, so you will find this little book. For just as the last of happiness is followed by sadness, so the end of misery is the triumph of joy. It so happened that since the fruitful coming of the Son of God, 1348 years had passed, 
when the great city of Florence, the loveliest of all Italian cities, was visited by the deadly plague, which several years earlier had first appeared in the east. There it had already destroyed so many lives, hardly resting in one place before moving to the next, and as it creeped towards the west, growing in power and malevolence. No human ingenuity or foresight could defend the city against it, not the vast amounts of rubbish which were swept from the city streets, nor the turning away of anyone with any sort of illness from its gates, nor any of the recommendations for preserving public health that were posted daily in the main square. Just as pointless were prayers to God and the processions of priests and every other way in which people implore divine providence. Forewarned should have been forearmed, but by spring of that year the terrible plague, with all the horror which came in its wake, had reached our fair city, as I will tell you. It began with swellings in the groin and armpit, some of which were the size of apples and some like eggs. These swellings were then spread to other parts of the body. But then the disease changed tack, and the body would be covered in dark, purplish spots on the arms and thighs, some large and widely spaced, some small and numerous. All these symptoms told the patient death would soon follow. So swift was the sickness that a man who woke up in the morning feeling fine could be dead by evening. Some dropped dead in the streets where they stood, others alone and abandoned in their houses, where only the stench of putrefaction alerted the neighbours. No medicine could cure this, nor any medical advice. Indeed, the doctors themselves would succumb to the disease, to be replaced by people, men and women, who had no medical training but plenty of opinions. And almost all who contracted the disease died of it. No medicine could cure this, nor any medical advice. Indeed, the doctors themselves would succumb to the disease, to be replaced by people, men and women, who had no medical training but plenty of opinions. And almost all who contracted the disease died of it. But what gave this plague its force is that whenever the sick mixed with healthy people, it moved with the speed of a fire through dry wood or oil. And not just that. Anyone touching bread or anything which had been handled by a sick person could get the disease. People became cruel as a result, avoiding or running away from those they thought had the infection or anything that belonged to them, hoping to preserve themselves that way. And it didn't matter who they ran from. Brother abandoned brother, uncles, nephews, and a sister her brother. And what I find most hard to believe Fathers and mothers refused to visit, let alone nurse, their children, as if they were someone else's. Some hid themselves away, living in isolation from any living person, eating little and drinking only the cleanest, freshest water or the most delicate of wines. Such people wouldn't speak to anyone, and shut their ears to any news, keeping their minds off things with music or entertaining books. Others still threw themselves into wild parties, eating and drinking, singing and dancing, hoping to satisfy every appetite, as if laughing at horror was the best medicine. These people behaved as though it were their last day on earth, thinking nothing of livelihood or possessions. Houses became common property, but just like anyone else, 
they would run a mile if they came across anyone who was sick. All respect for the laws of God and man fell by the wayside, either because the magistrates and governors were all dead or ill, or there were so few of their officers left to enforce so much as an hour's curfew. As a result, people were free to do what they liked. But those who probably survived the best were those who ran away. So, thinking of no one but themselves, these people abandoned their homes, their families, their friends, and moved to the countryside or even further afield, as if the plague were only sent to punish those who dwelled in cities, and what they were witnessing was Florence's final hour. The more I reflect on all this, the deeper the sorrow I feel. But it's enough to say that this was the state of our city, when one Tuesday morning, at the height of the summer, a group of young ladies, who'd been at Mass in the venerable old church of Santa Maria Novella in Florence, which was otherwise almost deserted, came together to chat. Each was a friend, neighbour, or relative of the others, and they were of various ages. They were also charming, intelligent, well brought up, and beautiful, which goes without saying. I won't tell you their names, so as to spare any of them embarrassment in the future, taking into account the nature of the stories they told or listened to, as you will see. They found themselves sitting in a circle, lamenting the times and expressing all the fears they had for the future, when one, the eldest and their natural leader, suggested a solution to their current predicament. All we hear these days is that so-and-so and is dead, or that what's-his-name is dying. We don't go outside for fear of meeting the sickness, or worse, one of those awful drunks the city's full of, barging about the place, singing rude songs and spilling beer or relieving themselves all over the cobblestones. The prisons are empty of their inmates, and the magistrates who put them there <laughs> are all dead. What, ladies, is there to keep us here? Her suggestion was that they go to their homes and pack whatever they might need for an extended stay. Then, from a preordained meeting point before the very church they were in, they would ride to a beautiful country house, there to sit out the plague in quiet and seclusion. We'll hear the birds in the trees and see fresh green hills and fields of corn rippling like waves on the sea in the cool breezes. Even heaven will show its face more clearly to us there than it does here. The other women were in total agreement, but because they were worried about making the journey alone, one suggested they should invite some men to join them for protection and company. As it happened, just then a group of gentlemen, all known to the ladies, and not a few in love with one or two of them, entered the church. And when the proposal was put to them, they readily agreed to accompany the women to the country. When they'd arrived at a lovely house with elegant gardens and terraces and wide-ranging views of the countryside around, and their servants, yes, they brought servants with them, had begun to unpack their belongings, the leader of the women, whom we'll call Pampinia, whose suggestion this had been, now made a further proposal, that they should elect a king or queen for each day who would be responsible for that day's entertainment. The others were in agreement and decided unanimously that she herself should be elected queen for the first day. 
One of the other ladies, let's call her Philomena, plucked some laurel branches from a tree and made a wreath, which she placed on Pampinia's head. Breakfast being eaten and games being played, the queen ordered her companions to rest for an hour or so, before heading off in the afternoon to a lovely meadow, watered by a stream and overhung with willows, where the grass grew thick and green. Because it was hot and still, except for the cicadas singing in the branches, the queen suggested that, rather than dancing or playing games, they would all sit in a circle under the trees, and from each she would require a story to while away the time until supper. And turning to one of the men present, she selected him to be their first storyteller. We'll call him Panfillo, and he opened with a few choice words about the power of prayer and absolution before beginning his tale. A certain Musciato, who had pulled himself up by his bootstraps to become a wealthy merchant in France, was sent by the French king into Tuscany on state business. Musciato had his fingers in too many pies at the time, and he needed reliable agents to look after his affairs while he was away. He was particularly vexed about the amount of money owed to him by certain men in Burgundy, a place full of bad characters if ever there were. Now who could he send to redeem these debts? Someone as devious and wicked as the Burgundians, for sure, but also loyal enough to Musciato so as not to shaft him. One man, Giappoletto by name, a lawyer from Prato, who had often visited him while in Paris. He came to mind... If a will needed forging or a false witness statement signing, he was your man. He'd lie through his teeth under oath, stir up enmity between the best of friends. If a throat needed cutting, he'd hold the knife. He hated the church, never set foot inside one preferring the company found in certain taverns. Women, he liked as much as a dog likes a beating. But a well-greased manhole, that was another matter. A gambler, a card sharp, a robber. In short, the perfect man to deal with Musciato's business in Burgundy. When asked, Giappoletto, who was between jobs and feeling the pinch, was more than happy to oblige. So he set off for Burgundy, where he was certain nobody knew him, and began the business of calling in loans with a remarkably good grace. So everyone thought him a soft touch. It wasn't long before his past caught up with him, and not in the way he might have thought. Selling a little? 
or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. He'd been lodging with two Florentine brothers who ran a money lending business. When he happened to fall ill, they called for doctors and danced attendance on him with everything he needed to recover his health. But nothing seemed to work, because our good friend, who was getting on in years, and hadn't exactly lived the healthiest of lives, was going from bad to worse, and looked like he might be done for. The brothers were getting very worried, and when the doctors had gone, sitting in a room next to the one in which Chapoletto lay, so they thought, sleeping, they wondered what to do. We're in a ripe pig's mess on this bloke's account, said one. If we turn him away, everyone will say how mean and callous we are. And what's he ever done to offend us? What would his boss, Mushiato, think? Then... He's led such a terrible life, there's no way he'll be able to make any sort of confession when the time comes, and if he dies, no priest will accept his body. We'll have to drop him somewhere in a ditch like a dog, even if he does make confession. His sins are so hot and horny, who'd ever absolve him? <laughs> and we'll have the same problem. And the other said, whatever happens, the people here will blame us. And want to drive us out of town, or worse, kill us, take all our money. If this bloke dies, that is. Chapoletto, who, you remember, was lying in the room next door, heard all of this. And there had been something like honour among thieves. He didn't want to cause the brothers any trouble, so he called to them and said, You mustn't worry on my account. I'll make sure no harm comes to you. You're right. If I died like this, <laughs> the worst would happen. But I won't. And it won't. God knows I've abused him in the past. So <clears throat> one more bad turn won't make much of a difference. Go and find me the holiest friar you can to hear my confession and leave the rest to me. They had little confidence 
and whatever he was planning, but they did what he asked. They found an old, old friar, famed for his holiness and goodness, revered by the townspeople, and brought him to their house. The friar sat down by Chapeletto's bedside and began to comfort him, asking how long it had been since his last confession. Chapeletto, who had never been to confession in his life, replied in a weak, pathetic voice, Father, I normally go once a week, but to be honest with you, since I've been so ill, nearly a week now, I haven't been at all. My son, replied the friar, I commend you, but as you go so often to confession, there can't be much for me to hear. Father, said Chapeletto, no matter how many times I may have confessed in the past, I want to make a general confession of all the sins I can remember committing from the day I was born till the day of this confession. Ask me anything. Don't spare me just because I'm ill. This was like music to the friar's ears. So he began by leaping in at the deep end and asking him about the sin of lust with a woman. Out of a sense of modesty, Chapeletto replied, Oh, Father, I'd rather not talk about something this delicate. But I will tell you, I am a virgin, as pure as on the day my mother gave birth to me. Oh, you are blessed, said the friar, not knowing nearly how true Chapletta's confession was and how far off his question. What a noble life, all the more deserving in that the world is full of temptation for a man like you, while someone like me is expressly forbidden by my order's rule. Next, asking about the sin of gluttony, Chapeletto let it be known that after frequent periods of fasting, he'd sipped water with all the pleasure and gusto with which a drunk was led to his favourite tipple. Now he'd had terrible cravings for the sweet little herb salads women liked so much. My son, said the friar, these sins are nothing. No matter how holy a man may be, the thought of food and drink will be attractive to him after fasting. Oh, said Giappoletto, but what's done in the service of God should be done honestly and ungrudgingly. Anything else would be a sin. Delighted, the friar replied, what a man of conscience. But tell me, my son, have you been guilty of the sin of avarice? By wanting more than was your due, maybe? Or keeping what belonged to others? With a pious look. Chapelato said, Father, don't judge me for lodging with these money-lenders. That isn't my business. In fact, I came here to warn them against it. My father left me a good fortune, the bulk of which I gave to charity. And since then, I've traded in a little of this, a little of that. 
only so as to give half my earnings to the poor, you understand. The good friar clapped his hands in appreciation. May God give you his blessing, he said. And questioning him about anger, bearing false witness, and all the other sins you might have had a field day remembering, Chapoletto, whose conscience should have been burning by now, but for the fact he didn't have one, confessed such sweet and innocuous versions of these sins, the friar was ready to proceed without further ado to give him absolution. But our friend wasn't finished yet. Sir, I still have one or two sins I have not yet confessed. Getting a little weary, the friar asked him what they were. I once, said his companion with great gravity, without knowing what I was doing, I spat in the house of God. The friar smiled. Oh, my son, I shouldn't worry. We clergymen spit there all the time. That's very wicked of you, said Chapeletto, sitting up in mock indignation. God's house should be kept clean for the mass. In short, he continued in his vein for some time, but finally he heaved a great sigh and wailed loudly, burying his face in his hands. Whatever is the matter? asked the friar. I have one sin left to which I have never confessed. So great is my shame in having to reveal it, replied Chapeletto. You may safely reveal it, the friar tried to reassure. I will pray to God on your behalf. If you promise to do that, I'll tell you. And with much hesitation and many deep sighs and rolling his eyes this way and that, he went on. Once, when I was a little boy, I killed a fly. And again he dissolved convincingly into tears. Now, now, my son, said the friar, that's not so great a sin. God can forgive those you put him on the cross. He'll forgive you after such contrition. But we're all God's creatures. Feeling that he'd consoled Chapeletto enough on that score, the friar absolved him and blessed him, believing he'd come across the saintliest man alive. And thinking of the honour such a person might do his own humble priory, he asked tentatively, in case, God forbid, you should be summoned to heaven, would you be willing to be buried in our priory church? Chapeletto replied, yes, father, I wouldn't wish otherwise. And having promised to send communion from the priory and to give in the proper time the last rites, the Holy Friar left. Meanwhile, the two brothers, 
who'd been listening to all this through a wooden partition <laughs> pissing themselves, barely able to keep in their laughter. This man, he fears nothing. Not old age, not illness, not even death or God himself. But it turned out that on the very day he'd made his confession, after he'd been given the last rites by another member of the Good Friars Order, poor Chiapolato died. And the two brothers willingly arranged for his funeral, asking the friars to come and sit in vigil over him. On hearing that he'd passed away, the holy friar who'd confessed him rung the bell of the priory and told his fellow friars what a saintly man Chapoletto had been and that through him God would perform miracles, persuading his superior that his body should be brought to the priory with loving care, there to be buried in their own church. In the morning... Dressed in all their robes, carrying holy books, bearing crosses, singing psalms all the while, they brought the body back to their church with all the townspeople following in solemn procession. And the friar began to preach so eloquently of Chapletto's unblemished life, his fasts, his virginity, his simplicity and innocence, and indeed his saintliness, with such a torrent of words that the townspeople thronged round the body to kiss his feet and his hands. All the clothes were torn from his back, and anyone who was able to bear away so much as a thread felt himself blessed. That same night, he was buried with honour in a marble tomb in one of the chapels. The fame of his saintliness and of the great veneration in which he was held, became so loud thereabouts, there was hardly anyone who didn't, from time to time, pray for his assistance when they were in need. And they called him, and still call him, Saint Chapoletto. It was thus, then, that Chapoletto of Prato lived and died becoming a saint in the way you have heard. Nor would I wish to deny that perhaps God has blessed and admitted him to his presence, for although he led a wicked, sinful life, it is possible that at the eleventh hour he was so sincerely repentant that God had mercy upon him and received him into his kingdom. But what do we know? other than what we're told about a man by those who knew him best. And I feel that this fellow should rather be in hell, in the hands of the devil, than in paradise amongst the angels. This episode of Passion and the Plague was narrated by me, Kevin Childs. The storyteller, Panfilo, was played by Hilton McRae, and Pampinia by Janine Alfane. Subscribe to this series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you listen so you'll never miss an episode. If you've enjoyed this story and want to read more from the Decameron, 
There's a link in the description to buy the book. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Save big money and transform your home with new appliances now at Menards. We offer the lowest prices and the largest in-stock appliance selection ready to take home today. Check out top appliance brands, including KitchenAid, Maytag, Whirlpool, Amana, and Criterion. Upgrade your home and save big money on new appliances at Menards. Shop our entire selection of appliance options online today at Menards.com. Save big money at Menards.